Good morning. I have to tell you, uh, if you were, you were, you sang, you were paying attention to the lyrics, and there's a, a theme through the songs this morning that, well, uh, I'll just be frank with you. We, we've already sung my sermon three times, <laughs> and pastor just prayed my sermon. We have one more song to sing, so... Dan, I'll tr- it takes me six times before I get it, so... <laughs> so I'll try to add another verse, another refrain to the song this morning that we've been singing. We, we sang about evil, evil and the wicked intended things for wicked, and God turned it to good. That probably sent some of you back to Genesis chapter 50 when Joseph told his brothers, you meant evil, but God meant it for good to save many souls. And so I want to continue with this theme of our going through trials We all go through trials. We don't often face a time when our faith is actually involved in the trial or trials, but I mean, I don't mean our faith isn't involved, but our faith isn't being attacked in most of our trials. We can be mocked every once in a while, occasionally by someone at work or school. He's a Christian. We aren't going to invite him because, you know. For whatever reason, they deem fit to taunt us. The book of Job does discuss at some length this issue of suffering. Since we're all more or less familiar with Job, uh, if you have your device, oh, I'm sorry, I I didn't find the page number this morning for our our text, but uh, you'll you'll find it. I'm sorry. Uh, let's turn to Job just for a moment. Oh. Now that I think about it, Job's probably not the best book. He discusses the issue of suffering when Satan is immediately involved in his torment. In in that, we know there's spiritual warfare going on. We know it's real. Scripture tells us it's real. We have to be loaded with the full armor of God to do battle against that kind of attack. We have to recognize it's that kind of attack in order to stand against it. No, let's instead look at suffering for a moment from the perspective of the workplace. Turn, turn to 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. You remember, of course, uh, here Peter's writing about Lot, the nephew of Abraham, And they came to Palestine, and Lot went to work and lived downriver near a place called Sodom. Uh, 2 Peter 2, 8. For as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting, afflicted in his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. And the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials 
to rescue them from trials, not keep them out of it, and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. Verse 10, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority, bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones, the angels. Well, no. There are plenty of examples in Scripture of people who are suffering, perhaps more than you and I ever shall, at least concerning our faith, if not along some other lines, when times are so hard, no matter who's at fault, no matter how it all started, who started it, when times are tough, they're tough. And wherever we are on the timeline of our lives, physically or spiritually, we're tested. So we could look several different places in Scripture to see how certain Bible characters dealt with their strange circumstances. Okay, go, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul tells us how we can respond biblically. Seeing our trials, whatever kinds of trials they may be, no matter what circumstances prevail, God sees our trials as abundant opportunities to serve others. What do we want to do when we get a trial? Mm -hmm. I was remembering Daffy Duck. Oh, woe is me. Complaining because Elmer's coming after him with his shotgun. We just curl up in the little ball, and we're paralyzed when we go into self-pity. And God doesn't want us to do that. And so, gentlemen, oh yes, I want you, because men, you are part of the body of Christ now, and you are going to be leaders. You are already leading in your sphere of influence. And you are disciples who have to carry it on. And you, in a few years, will be telling young men to do the same thing. So let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We'll spend our time there, I promise. We'll only roll around a couple other places, but I'll just share those with you. Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthians to reestablish warm relations with them. They've uh, got a little bit of tension between them because of some false teaching. Some were even challenging whether he was an apostle. He had to defend his apostleship. So he's going to come to the church to visit them again. He's going to take up a collection to take to the poor in Jerusalem. He probably wrote this letter about AD 55, just so you know. And it's interesting at the outset of his letter. Different from some of the other epistles, he starts out and makes them aware of the suffering he and the apostolic team with him had to endure. So, verses 1 and 2. Having fellowship with our God and Savior, our having fellowship with our God and Savior, and our having fellowship with one another, with our God and Savior, guarantees, a bount guarantees bountiful opportunities for ministry among us. 
We have fellowship together. We have fellowship with God. And because of our fellowship, this is our sphere of influence. This is where we do the bulk of our work. We're a forgiving and compassionate bunch. We mess up and we forgive one another. But here in verses 1 and 2, Paul is going to introduce them in a warm, warm way, different from the way the world meets together. Sometimes we face even that when we go to work, when we go to school. Oh, I've got to, got to go see this fella again today. Or I've got to work with her. Never mind they're thinking the same thoughts about us. We have tension, but not yet. Not here, not in verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia. That's the LP, the lower peninsula of Greece. So Paul's personally commissioned by Jesus. He's an apostle by the will of God. And he represents God. He represents Jesus. The commission was not his choice. God appointed him to that. He didn't apply for that position. But God made this choice. His free will choice to appoint Paul an apostle. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Two things. We've got, we've got grace. Grace, of course, is, is kindness, but when it applies to sin, it's giving us what we don't deserve. And when we, is, when we deserve the opposite, and he gives us goodness. Peace, we have peace from God because we have peace with God. Okay, you're a believer this morning. At some point in the past, God woke you up, saved you, you're walking along. He's sanctifying us, making us more, look more and more like Christ. Eventually, and all along this way, we're becoming more and more Christ-like in our walk. But we still sin. But he's sanctifying us. He's making us look more like Christ. And sometimes we sin, and sometimes we get into a habit of sin, whatever it is, and we begin to doubt our salvation. And we forget we were cleansed. But when we stand before God, Romans 5.1 says we have peace with God. Then the next couple of chapters, Paul argues about how that works out in our walk. But then in 8.1, after, at the end of verse se chapter 7, he says, I sin." when I want to do good, and when I want to do good, I sin, and I'm, I'm schizo, and I'm a wretched man. And he doesn't stay there. Chapter 8, verse 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ, because on the cross, Jesus dealt with our sin, and it's all gone. And it was all gone before, before we entered time, it's covered because he secured that for us. And we came along, trusted Christ, God saved us, and 
now we're on that walk. But sometimes we begin to doubt our relationship. But we don't have to because we have peace with God. He doesn't look at you, Christian, through wrathful lenses. He looks at you in grace because of Christ. So, moving along, three through six, we need to reassess some trials. We haven't talked about trials yet. No, but we're going to, so I'm just going to give that to you up front. We need to biblically reassess trials as opportunities for service of mercy. We talk about mercy, and mercy is relating to sin, withholding judgment. Grace is giving blessing, mercy is withholding judgment, but mercy is broader than that. Mercy is meeting needs to folks who haven't necessarily been sinful, who just find themselves in dire straits and need someone to help. And so here we go. In 3 through 6, Paul tells us the way we, this first way we need to evaluate trials. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Now, I said I was going to add to the song that we've been singing all morning. Paul begins Ephesians in a similar way. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. This word blessed is a word that Mary and Elizabeth used. And they sang songs about it. The Magnificat. These are things, this particular word evokes music so that we can teach each other truth from Scripture. There was a chorus popular a few years ago. Blessed be the Lord God Almighty. Do you remember that one? Oh, I thought some of you would sing with me, but in a 15 minutes. So, Peter, in 1 Peter 1, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his mercy, his great mercy, has caused us to be born again. He caused us to be born again. This is amazing. To a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Negatively, in Romans 1, Paul talks about God being blessed forever, even though the world, in its rebellion against God, rejects him. But God is blessed forever. Romans 9, 5, to them belong the patriarchs, the Jews, and from their race, according to the flesh, is Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. These are the kinds of ideas Paul has here at the beginning that evoke music from us. So this is going to give us cause for praise in spite of the storm of trials and afflictions we're going through. Verse 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction or every affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. 
So you're not having stress right now. Good. When you do, here we go. This is a passage that you're going to look at. This is a passage that isn't going to change. The meaning of what we're looking at right now is the passage is not going to change the way you apply it will. Some of you don't have children right now, but you're going to. And when you do, you're going to have stresses you don't know about right now and you shouldn't know about right now. And I'm told sometimes your children can break your heart. And even then, you know this passage is here, and God tells us how to deal with this as we reassess trials as opportunity for service for others. Now, if you have your pen, or if you have your device, if you have your device, that expression, who comforts us in all affliction, so that, circle it. This is the purpose that God has for our affliction. We know there are lots of purposes in affliction. Sometimes, we are disciplined because of our own sin, but that's not Paul's focus here. He's looking at the stress that you're going through, the affliction. The word is translated in other places as tribulation. We have things that rock our lives, but why does God have it happen? So he can comfort us. And why does he give us the comfort? So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. So it goes past us. It goes past me. God, why are you letting this happen? You've heard people say that. So have I. I've said it. Maybe you have too. And God has an answer because he's equipping us to be able to minister to other people. So we have to look at this as ministry education. It's going to sound strange, but God's teaching us our sufferings are given so we can be informed for the opportunity that we will have to minister to others. Oh, I'm glad that's over. Guess what? It's not over. It's coming again. God just trained you with that so that you can help somebody else later on. He says it, doesn't he? So that we, oh, wait a minute, change we to I. No, no, it's not time to be done. Can I have five more minutes? so that I may be able to comfort whoever it is that's coming my way because God's going to bring that trial to someone else. He's comforted me already. You had to break up with a girlfriend or a boyfriend be because you're a Christian and you have to keep your arms linked or or they're mocking you, and nobody wants to lose friends. But it happens, and it happens not just to teach us, to grow us, to make us stronger, because we're going to endure. Look at all of you. You've all endured. You've had sufferings that were unjust, like Pastor prayed. They, you've had sufferings at your own hand because you were dumb. No, because you sinned, and God has disciplined you, and Paul's not emphasizing that right now. He's talking about wickedness from outside that's crushing us at the time. I remember trying to witness to my mom 
And she said, shut up. I don't want to hear it anymore. Well, okay, so that's par for the course. Get on board with the rest of us, right? Because that happens all the time. But I don't want it to be in my family. But why did that happen? So that I can comfort someone with the comfort I had because I knew I was being obedient. And God's responsible for the results when I preach the gospel. I'm not. We preach so that we might save some, but it's not really we. It's God saving them through the gospel about his son who suffered at the hand of unjust people. Now, he suffered for sin. We can't do anything with that as far as our sufferings go, but Christ suffered, and it was for us to benefit us later on. So, we are given comfort in our affliction for his purpose so that we... Wait a minute. You're saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, and not by works, so no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, verse 10, 2.10, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. Guess what? You're suffering so that you can be equipped to do good works, ministering to others that he prepared in advance. Not so I can crawl in a hole and have a pity party. No, no. The suffering is real. It, it for sure is real. Paul's going to talk about that. Let's go on quickly because I'm out of time. Just look at, look at uh, verse 5. Look at verse 5. God equips us to minister mercy in order to comfort others. He wants us to use the same methods. He comforted us to comfort others. But you don't understand. Oh, yeah? This is, you're not unique. The, the pains you're facing are common to all of us. I have been through what you've been through, what you're going through, and this is how God got me through it. Maybe it was a miracle. I, I mean, you know, I don't go there, but God still does miracles. I just don't see so many miracle workers, if I can say that. God's done one miracle in my life that I've seen, but I don't talk about that because who's going to believe me, right? But most of the time, it's our ministering to us. And we give comfort that way. But God gives comfort. Sometimes, how was Jesus comforted? Dying on the cross. And do you know what? God delivered him in a different way. He delivered him to pay the penalty for my sin and for the sin of everyone who would believe. But he didn't rescue him then, did he? But he was raised from the grave. Hebrews 12.2 says he despised the shame, but he had joy set before him. He knew he was going to be raised. And we know, believers, believers, we know we're going to be raised. So for me to live is Christ and to die 
is gain because it doesn't get any better than that. And right now, it doesn't get any better than this. When we suffer, God brings us through it, and we need to not think about how dreadful, hurtful, harmful, daffy duck, oh, woe is me. We need to say, okay, God, thank you. James, count it all joy when we have trials, and then God gets us through that. So verse 5, just as the sufferings of Christ at the hands of wicked men, as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Two things he means by Christ's sufferings. First, Jesus suffered, of course, willingly for sin in our place. The second way was at the hands of sinful people. We can't participate in the first. I don't die to pay for anybody's sin, not even my own. But Paul has a second idea in mind in this passage. He doesn't leave us to wallow in self-pity in our sufferings. You know that this is the case. Look, look at verse 6. If we are afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. Okay, get your pen. If we are afflicted, he's got two if-then clauses here. If we are afflicted, circle it. If, if this is going on with you right now, if, if I am afflicted, it's for your comfort. So circle the it, because that's where the then goes. It's for your comfort and salvation. It's for you that I'm afflicted, because I'm going, God is going to get me through it, and I'm going to be able to minister to you. And if, circle it, if we are comforted, it is for your comfort. So I'm in the thick of the trials, and I'm looking ahead. It's for service to you. And after the trial is over, and God gave me rest, oh, what do you mean it's a blessing that she broke up with me? What's the matter with you? And then two weeks later, you found out she's engaged to someone else. Okay, this is a real blessing, isn't it? Yeah, so whatever the trial is, you got through it, you're comforted, and now in the comfort, it's to minister to you. It's to minister to someone else with the comfort that I received in the stress. So in the stress, I'm looking forward to the comfort because I'm going to minister to you. In the comfort, I have relief. And this I can also share with you and strengthen you and comfort you. Finishing verse 6, if we are comforted, if I'm comforted, it is for your comfort, which you will experience, which comfort you will experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. So we have a sharing in the suffering and a sharing in the comfort. Okay, second way, we're going to reassess our trials, 7 through 9. Christians biblically reassess the severity of trials as opportunities for enduring Dependence on God. Wait a minute, Dan, that sounds like a fancy way to say patience. Okay, but it's, it's patience when I don't have any resources to fix it, and I have to trust God. God wants believers to have this assessment of trials established, confirmed, and beyond all doubt, no matter the severity. And look at Paul's example in verse 7. Oh, seven and eight. And our hope for you is 
certain, it's unshaken, it's steadfast. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. So I know it's rough. I know it's rough, but God got me through that. Here I am, and he's going to get you through this too. But you have a sphere of influence I don't have. And, and your friends have troubles that I can't speak to because God didn't equip me, but he equipped you. And this is how we each do our part. Ministering in the body and ministering to those outside the body who need Christ. So no matter how severe these trials are, we need to depend on God and God alone. Wait, he hasn't given us any commands yet, has he? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do, Dan? Well, he hasn't said, do this, do this, do this. What has he said? This is my purpose. This is what Christians do because this is what God's word says his purpose is. And so you know he's working his purposes in you. Verse 8, we do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, regarding the affliction that happened to us while in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired even of life. Did he always know God was going to get him through it? No, but he knew to die is gain. But he despaired of life. In chapter 4, just a couple pages over, he says, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. These sound an awful lot like the qualities of an attitude of an overcoming lifestyle. This is God working in me to have hope when there is no hope. Can anyone say Abraham? Yes, because there was no hope and God promised him he was going to give him a son. But Paul believed he was going to die. I think that's pretty clear from words like despairing of life. Scripture does not minimize the threat of force or the pain in our afflictions, does it? No, it's not pie in the sky. <sighs> oh, it'll be all right. And it's not really singing Rose Garden songs. This is real suffering, real pain. You know, Paul took a beating for his faith. My back is pretty clean. I hope it stays clean. But that doesn't mean I don't still have trials and sinful issues that God ministers to me through you, especially through my bride and my family, kids. And then we can minister to each other. Verse 9, we have enduring dependence on God as a result of this. He says, indeed, we felt like we'd received the sentence of death. Who can sentence him to death? God. God, you're not, okay. Okay, Lord, whatever your plan is. Who else prayed that prayer? Father, it's, Deliver me, but not my will, but yours. So do you see the Christ-likeness through this? The suffering that he had, we benefit from. Because he was crucified, we benefit from that. Paul says, but 
Verse 9, but that, circle this, that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. We don't have any bootstraps. We can't pull up our bootstraps. We have to trust completely in God. Do you know why? Especially because as much as my good intentions are there, I might let you down. But God won't let you down. God won't let us down. And we have endured, and we've gotten through it, and we need to reassess our afflictions so that we are aggressively engaging in ministry to one another and thinking about what God is doing in us so that how, if someone else were here with me suffering with this, what would happen? Well, it's coming. You're going to see this trial again because he's not giving you lessons he's not going to test you with. So, sometimes, sometimes things are just so severe We've got nowhere to turn. What's more is it seems like that's the purpose in this passage. God's crushing them so that they have to turn to him. I don't think Paul was disobedient or that you have been disobedient in some of the trials you faced. When you've experienced what the songwriter says, where do I go? When there's no one else to turn to, whom do I lean on? When the winds of sorrow beckon, and maybe you're already old enough to have had trouble so bleak, you looked up to God and reached up in despair because you wasted all your tears. You couldn't cry anymore. If he doesn't get you out, oh God, I don't know what to do. And Paul had times like these. So we have to see that our purpose in reevaluating the hardships that God sends us is to think about ministry to others. Second, we have to think about our total dependence on God. It's not because I figured it out. It's because God figured it out. God gave me the comfort, and now I'm going to go minister to someone else. And God gets all the praise. But now we need to reassess our tribulations finally. We know that God has ordained to use our prayers in order to accomplish his plans in our ministry to one another. This is so vital. This probably could have been the first point, but I wanted to keep it in order. He delivered us. He did. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. So, there's a track record. God got me through this. It was overwhelming. We were drowning. We were going to die. We believed we were going to die. Okay, Lord, whatever you want to do. But he rescued us. And guess what? There's a pattern. He's going to rescue us again. We can, we can trust on it. But we had to trust in him completely for this. So, He's referring to the future. He's saying that they've decided to trust God, that they put their trust in him to deliver them. Yet in the future, they're making it clear that long ago, they resolved if deliverance ever came, it came from God and not their own hands. And now in verse 11, watch. You must help us by prayer. You also must help us by prayer. And it's interesting, this is not a command. He doesn't say, help us by prayer. 
He's saying it's required. You must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. God has ordained to use our prayers in order to accomplish his plans. In this context, he's talking about the relief of believers in their suffering. God uses prayer to deliver us from our trials. Look at the expression of it in verse 11. As you help us by your prayers. You must help us by prayer. And that's not a complete thought really by itself. It ends with a comma. So Paul says, you must help us by prayer. Why? So that many will give thanks on our behalf. Okay. You pray, and many will give thanks because he delivered us. You prayed, they're thankful because of my deliverance. So we've got ministry going on. God's being thanked. They're singing over here because of the deliverance here because of your prayers. You must help us by prayers. This is part of our ministry to one another. Again, part of those good works God laid out in advance. Third, here with prayer for the blessing granted us. You must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks. So, so I'm comforted. You prayed. I got through my trial. I'm comforted. They're thanking God because I got through my trial. And now I'm going out to minister to someone else. And there's prayer going on there. And it's like a cascade. And we've got prayer and people ministering to one another. And this is God's will for us in our sufferings. And he says, finally, God granted us this blessing through the prayers of many. Okay, so if you don't pray, if you don't pray, what prayer is God going to answer? So if you know there's a need, Pray, pray. Don't say, okay, God, I've done everything I know to do. I guess I'll pray. Start there. Start with prayer. This is how we need to reassess our trials. We see trials or we go through them. We pray. And then a view toward ministering to others with our prayers so that we're totally dependent on God. And that cycle of being able to continue to work through the stresses, whether it's at the hands of unjust people. I'm an English teacher, and one time I had a principal say, okay, don't teach grammar. What? It's like a carpenter, okay, but don't, don't use a hammer. Seriously? Well, no, it wasn't because grammar wasn't a good thing to teach in English. It was just sinful mean. And some of you have sinful mean situations going on. Some of you are being tested with your faith because you're a Christian. And then God is polishing us with other trials to make us better believers, to make us more Christ-like as he sanctifies us. So, finishing. Christ's sufferings were not for himself. 
but to benefit others. Namely, everyone who believes. Because if they don't believe, well, if they don't believe. So Christ suffered for the benefit of others. Jesus suffered. We know he didn't suffer because of his wrongdoing, but it was at the hands of sinful, rebelliously, grossly mistaken men. None of the rulers of this age understood 1 Corinthians 2.8, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Christ was a victim to unrighteous suffering. And that's part of the Christ's sufferings Paul's talking about here. The emphasis is not on the suffering that we endure because of our own sin, although that's there too. I mean, you can apply it that way, but unrighteous suffering at the hands of the lost. And Christ was a willing victim since by the cross, he secured forgiveness of sin, redemption, justification, and ultimately glorification for everyone who believes. So there's something about the work of the cross that we can see in our own sufferings, not forgiving sin, but giving comfort to others because that too is a result of the cross. Okay, so our assessment of our trials and afflictions show us that God has bigger plans in mind. He's not just spoiling our party. Our culture teaches us to cling to our grief, wallow in our self-pity, and define ourselves by whatever's ailing us at the time. Our suffering is never designed by God for complaint and self-pity. There is no purposeless suffering for us. Irrational, but not purposeless. God has a purpose for you, outside of you, in the suffering. So just as God rescued me, just as he's rescued you, sometimes miraculously, sometimes providentially through someone's physical aid, and other times, and perhaps most importantly, through praying, this happens so others might flourish. Music team, could you come? Thank you for not leaving, even though I went over. <laughs> Let's pray. Our Father God, we are so thankful for the privilege we have of calling you our Father because of the work of Christ, for causing us to be born again, as Peter says, and then to understand, Father, that living in a sin-cursed world For us to stay here and not be taken to glory right away after we're saved is because of purposes that you have to glorify yourself through us, through trials, even through sin, so that through deliverance, through the comfort and the mercy that you give, that you provide from others to us and to us, from us to others, and Father, all by prayer, so that many people give thanks. May we have a new view and outlook for ministry to others with our trials. In Jesus' name, amen.